There's a right way and a wrong way for us to hold fast to biblical truth and still have healthy relationships with our LGBT friends. Caleb Kaltenbach offers an example of the wrong way to go about that. Somebody named Joe will meet somebody in their workplace who is uh, identifies as LGBT, and so Joe becomes his friend, and Joe thinks that, you know, he has to let him know about Leviticus and Genesis 19 and Ephesians 5 and Romans 1. We'll throw in 1 Corinthians 6. But without building a relationship and getting to know, all of a sudden, he will throw all these verses at this gay man over here that now realize he has been treated like a project. And he walks away rejecting everything, feeling wounded. Joe walks away feeling like some kind of accomplished martyr. But really, what Joe has done is he has pushed this man further away from God. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. How can we represent Jesus well as we build healthy relationships with people who don't think like us or believe like us? That's what we're going to talk about today. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition here on Independence Day in the United States. I'm guessing there are not many people in America we could talk to who grew up in a home where mom and dad got a divorce. Mom moved in with her lesbian partner. Dad remained a bachelor and later came out of the closet as a gay man. And where the son who grew up in that situation wound up going to Bible college, committing his life to full-time ministry. I'm guessing that's a relatively unusual story. I'm guessing it is too, but it's what makes this book, Messy Grace, a compelling read. I think this is a safe way for a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife who is trying to figure out how do I relate to people who don't believe like I do? This is a safe place to go read. And maybe something that some groups of people need to dig into and do a a Bible study around and and just interact around these chapters because I think uh, what our guest on the show today has, has done is he's invited all of us into his life, into a world we don't know a whole lot about. And by doing so, he's coaching us as uh, the son of two gay moms as the the son of a a father who, after divorcing his mom, came out as a homosexual as well. And, you know, I I just think that, as you said, Bob, there's not that many that can can offer that kind of insight and coach us from that standpoint. Caleb Kaltenbach joins us again on Family Life Today. Caleb, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here. Bob gave a good overview of your life. Uh, He hit something kind of quickly that I want you to unpack for us. Your moms had thrown you out of the house when you said you were becoming a follower of Christ. Your dad had done virtually the same. What did they say when you said you wanted to go to a Bible school? Again, my mother's partner was a psychologist, a PhD, very smart. Both my parents were university professors. So when I told them that I wanted to go to a Bible college, and in their minds, a narrow-minded Bible college, it did not go over at all. They just said, you're paying for everything on your own. You, There's no way we're going to help you out with it. Then nothing's going to happen there. And I can't believe that you would even consider that. You're going to wind up homeless on the street, and um, you're going to be eating ramen noodles your whole life if you can afford those. But their view did soften over time because 
one of them helped you get a loan, didn't they? Yes, my dad eventually, because he saw that I was not backing down. It's part of my German stubbornness, I think. We don't <laughs> back down too easily. And so I said, this is what I'm doing, with or without my family, because I feel like God's call is that strong. And so I said, I'm going forward with this. And my dad eventually helped me to get my first loan. That's what they did for me. But I spent my weekends preaching in small country churches to earn money for college, washed dishes in the cafeteria, did everything I could, but really cut my teeth in Bible college on preaching at a lot of small country churches. So how did they handle your background, or did you keep it a secret from them? Um, No, because I wanted people to know what they were getting into. I remember the first church I ever preached in was in Kansas, small town, and uh, we had six people in the church. The youngest one was 60. They wanted to start a youth group. It was going to be a youth group of 40-year-olds. Um, and so I told them about my background, and, and they didn't like that too much. The second church I was at, I was there for about 18 months. It was in Missouri, and I was near a, a town uh, called Nevada. It should be called Nevada, but everybody called it Nevada in Missouri. It's near Fort Scott, Kansas, and I preached there for 18 months. 25 people in the church, 50 people in the town. We were the largest church per capita in the world at that yeah. time. I'm yeah, convinced. right, right. Um, I kind of eased into the conversation about my parents then. But there was one Sunday that was very, very profound to them. I kept on asking my mom to come to church with me to hear me preach. And I was only, a, a I think at that time, a, a junior or a sophomore in college. So I'd only had like one preaching class in my Bible college, and I just really, that's how I learned how to preach. And so my mom finally came with me, and she wouldn't come back the next Sunday, but it's a good thing because I got there, and there were two elders waiting for me on the front doorstep, and they said, Caleb, we'd like to talk to you. And so they took me to the back room, and there were really only two rooms. There was a front room, and there was a back room. And they looked at me, and they said, if you want to keep preaching here, don't you ever bring somebody like your mother again. And I was floored, and I said, excuse you? And they basically said, we don't like those kind of people. They make us feel uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, you know, we are not a church that feels comfortable with these people. And so I said, I quit. And they said, well, you can't quit today. You need to preach. I said, no, 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 no. Out of all the things you want me to do today, preaching should not be one of them. Trust me. Well, we need you to preach. And so I ripped up my sermon, and I preached an evangelistic message, and I walked out. I got my car and I drove away. I said, Lord, if you ever give me the chance to be able to lead a church stewarded with that opportunity, I want a church that is filled with people who are broken because that's what the church is. The church is really a beautiful mosaic of broken lives that God has united together to glorify himself. Jesus did not die on the cross for a little members-only country club that is really a Pharisee factory. That's not what he did. He died on the cross for broken people. Because only God can put broken people back together. I have to wonder, Caleb, what the, the homosexual community thinks about you when they hear these stories. Obviously, they're going to give you more grace, quote-unquote grace, more freedom to speak. But does this gain you favor with them, that you're, you're speaking of them as they ought to be spoken of, people who are made in the image of God? I think it does. I try to go a little bit further than that to help Christians to understand the LGBT community. I think there's always going to be a line with me and the LGBT community because at the end of the day, I believe God's word is true. I believe in the covenant of marriage. That is always going to be there. And so that's a line that will never be crossed. But I think that 
there is a respect there. I've been told by several people in the community that my book has a very gracious tone to it, and they appreciate that. And I think they can't argue with the experience. But I try to get a lot of Christians to understand the LGBT community, and I think there are some in the LGBT community that really appreciate this. Because I remember a conversation that I had with my mom one time, and my mom, I don't know how we got in this conversation, but she said, you know, Caleb, in the last several years of my relationship with Vera, we were not intimate at all. And, you know, first of all, gross. I mean, I don't want to hear that from my mom, but I immediately looked at her and I said, so you're not a lesbian anymore. You haven't been intimate for years. And she said, well, sure I am. Those are my people. I have relationships there. I'm part of a community. I'm part of a cause and a movement. I have grace there. And I said, well, mom, you just described the church. And she said, no, I didn't. Why would I go somewhere that would make me feel less about myself? And it really dawned on me Hmm. that for my mom, Hmm. she never identified as a lesbian or with the LGBT community because of who she wanted to be intimate with. I mean, even in the ever-growing acronym of the LGBTQQIIAA, I think the last A now stands for ally, where you can identify with the LGBT community and still be straight at the same time. Because I think... The, the primary thing there for a lot of people is no longer, this is who I want to have sex with. Now it is, who are the people that I identify with? It really has become more of a philosophy and an ideology. And so here's where a lot of Christians will misstep. I, I, I want to be careful not to say a mistake, but they will do things out of order. Somebody named Joe will meet somebody in their workplace who is uh, identifies as LGBT, like a gay man. And so Joe becomes his friend, and Joe thinks that, you know, he has to at some point let him know about Leviticus and Genesis 19 and Ephesians 5 and Romans 1. We'll throw in 1 Corinthians 6, which I believe all those chapters completely. I believe them. Word for word, I believe they're true. But without building a relationship and getting to know, all of a sudden, he will throw all these verses at this man. And this gay man over here that thought he was getting a new friend now realize he has been treated like a project. And he walks away rejecting everything, feeling wounded. Joe walks away feeling like some kind of accomplished martyr. But really, what Joe has done is he has pushed this man further away from yeah. God. And here's the other thing. Joe is telling him, hey, do not define yourself by your sexual orientation. But when Joe thinks, hey, the most important thing I've got to address first is who you want to be intimate with, you have just reduced them down to their sexual orientation. The irony is you have done to them what you've, what you've asked them not to do to themselves. And so I think that as we get to know people, no matter who they are, no matter what kind of a, a life choice they might uh, be in, when we get to know them, and I, I believe that God gives opportunity for us to have difficult conversations in the context of trust and relationship. I really believe that, and I believe that if we think deeper about LGBT community, if we think deeper about this to where for them it is an identity, and we say, okay, instead of trying to fix you, I'll leave that up to God and point you to the cross and tell you the truth, but I'm going to help you identify with Jesus first and foremost. He's pretty good at life change. Mm. And you are going to offer a community to him. Absolutely, because we, we have to bring them over to our community because nobody's going to leave one community if they don't feel like another community is safe. Yeah. It truly is an alternative lifestyle that is worth it, though. Yes, it is. When you brought your mom to church and she heard you preach, what was the conversation like after that on the way home? She was very affirming. My mom has always been affirming of me. Uh, she's always been a big fan of me. Um, so... You're a good speaker. Yeah, you're a good speaker. I think she looks at me as some kind of civil rights 
leader or something like that, you, got, you know. You got good things to say, you're calling people to justice, that kind of thing? Absolutely. There did come a time, though, where she started to soften to the message that you were preaching, right? Yes. Well, actually, there were, there were two times. So uh, the first time was when I eventually, when I graduated from Bible college, I moved to Southern California, and I lived out there for 11 years and worked at a church called Shepherd Church, Shepherd of the Hills Church, did college ministry and was a multi-site pastor. And uh, she came out and uh, she visited our multi-site campus one Sunday. And uh, Christmas Day is her birthday, so she was out for Christmas. And um, when she heard the message afterwards, it was funny, we were driving down the 101 and we were almost, both of us, a fatality because she said, I think I might be closer to um, accepting Christ. And when she said that, I just, I don't know what happened. I just lost control of the steering wheel. We went to the other lane. People started honking. Um, I led my mom to cuss at that point <laughs> by accident because she was afraid. Um, but it was just such a, a unique experience. But that was not the point that she accepted Christ. But she was softening and she was getting to the point at that juncture in her life. So what was the second time? So I got married in 2004, and beautiful Latina woman. Um, in her wildest dreams, she had no idea that she would marry somebody that was a cross between Fester and Gru. She just had no clue. <laughs> and she's this gorgeous lady. And so finally I wanted to preach after 11 years. So we moved to Dallas, Texas to go pastor a church. And when we moved there, both of my parents, separately of one another, moved there to be closer to our family. My mother's partner had died a few years earlier without Christ, about five years earlier before we moved to Dallas. Unless a miracle happened, she went to stand before God without Jesus, which is the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody, period. And uh, my mom went through a depression, not because of that, but because she was alone. And so when we were moving closer, she moved down there. Then my dad wanted to move down there. And I had never really lived in a two, like five mile radius with my parents since I was two. I didn't know if the walls would start bleeding or a pig would fly. I didn't know what would happen. Hmm. But then my parents floored me when they said, can we start attending your church? <laughs> Just in, in, independent of each other. Yes, independent. They both started attending my church and they were the people that made fun of TV preachers and radio preachers like Swindoll and so on and so forth. And now they're going to my church, and they know what I believe. And it, it was fascinating. And what was even more annoying is that my church treated them better than I did. Do you know how it's annoying when people are nicer to your parents than you are? It's annoying. But they loved my parents, and this was a catalyst for my parents to come closer to Jesus because they finally were around a group of people— Kind of like that girl that we talked about earlier that I had a good Christian experience with when she shared the gospel with me and I had a positive experience. Now, my parents were having positive experiences with Christians in this church that treated them like people, not like evangelistic projects. It was, it was huge. And so then— I want to stop there because we had uh, Rosaria Butterfield on Family Life today, and she instructed our listeners as well as Bob and me how important hospitality is to the homosexual community. That sounds like what happened in your church in Dallas, how they invited your mom and dad into community and into their homes to be able to, to relate to them and get to know them. Absolutely. And I think that we should do that with everybody, period, in our churches. I mean, if you invite somebody over to your house, you know what? You're going to treat them like a guest. You're going to extend hospitality to them. At our church every Sunday, we're always expecting guests. 
from all walks of life. And we have people from all walks of life. And so, you know, not everybody at, at my church in Dallas were excited about it, but there were quite a few who were. And so the summer of 2013, we had an opportunity to move back to Simi Valley. It was my wife's hometown. She loves it there. We have a lot of friends there. We love Southern California. My wife loves Disneyland, loves Disneyland. <laughs> and so we moved back. And two weeks before we moved back, both my parents gave their lives to the Lord. Both of them. Again, and independent of one independent another. Independent of one another. Now, and, you, and you, You've got to share how that happened. I mean, there's too much of a drama here and too much of a history not to just say, here's what my mom did, here's what my dad did. I remember talking with my mom, and she had been in a hospital because she was having some health issues, and she had been praying with a lot of people, and she said, Caleb, I really think I'm a Christian now. I believe that I'm a Christian, and we talked about it, and I talked to her about what she believed, and I really believe with all my heart that she was and that she still is a Christian. Now, does she believe everything that I believe theologically? No, she doesn't. Does she believe the fundamentals, the orthodoxy? Yes, she does. Is she still working out her salvation with fear and trembling, the sanctification process? Absolutely. God is working that in her. And, and there's a lot of emotional hurt and pain throughout the years mm. that she's having to tread through. But I truly believe that she is saved. I, I think you raise an important point, which is when somebody comes to faith and when they do affirm the essentials of the faith— they come in with a background, with, with a story, with a lot of things that may have to get worked through. And we need to be patient and let people process and let them uh, learn from the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, things that it may have taken us a while to learn. I tell our congregation all the time, and actually I had a meeting with different leaders uh, the, the weekend before my book released, Messy Grace. And I remember in this meeting, I told our volunteers and our leaders and our staff and our elder team the same thing that I say on Sunday morning. I say, hey, at this church, we give people margin in their lives to experience God. Mm. We don't expect people to automatically get their act together when they start attending after the third week or the fourth week or the fifth week. We need to give that margin not only for them, but also for God, because here's the deal. Salvation is instantaneous, but usually it's a process for people to get to that point, and sanctification is a process right. of God tearing down our prideful walls and, and making us more into His image. And so, we give God margin to work his process. And it's not that we don't have tough conversations. It's not that we don't do church discipline when that has to be done. But there's everybody in our church is taking their next step with Jesus somewhere. Your mom was in the hospital, and she said to you, I, I believe these essentials, and I think I'm a Christian. What about your dad? What was his story? So I was uh, over at his house. Uh, his apartment, actually. And I remember I was helping him sort through some books. And uh, unfortunately, now my dad has Alzheimer's. He actually lives closer with us in Simi Valley. But back then, Alzheimer's was setting in, but I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, my dad's always been a little disorganized, but I was helping him sort through some books. And as we were just sitting there talking and sorting through books, my dad said, Caleb, I know that I would go to church every now and then at the Episcopal Church, but more than ever now, I think I see that Jesus really does love me. And I just feel like I have a different relationship with him. And I honestly believe that I believe in him and my whole relationship is at another level. I really believe that I'm saved. And I remember hearing that from my dad again and thinking to myself, 
you have got to be kidding me. I mean, this is the guy that grounded me when I got baptized, that kicked me out of the house. This is the guy that made fun of, of, of me for believing in Christianity because it was illogical. It was not rational. It did not fit his uh, materialistic, physical-focused worldview. And now, completely shift. And here's a big lesson I learned from that, guys. I learned that people base so much of their view of who God is and who Jesus is off of how we treat them. I learned that. Mm -hmm. Because when my parents were around people that treated them like people— and not like projects, and really lived out what Jesus says in Matthew five forty six, and actually 43 through 48, and what Jesus said in Luke six thirty five, when he says, hey, love your enemies, do good, lend to them, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And so, you know, I'm thinking about that, and it's in those moments when people experience God working through us, as they see maybe, maybe... Maybe Jesus is different. And if I'm going to be honest, when I was sitting in that Bible study in high school and sitting around and, and engaging, and when they really knew that I was not saved, their tone changed with me. And when their tone changed with me, they became more caring. And when they became more caring and treated me differently, something happened in my heart. Something happened. Can I just read the verses that you referenced, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43? Jesus says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's strong stuff for all of us to hear, but that's what God's calling us to, isn't it? Especially when you think of the first century that Jesus was probably referring to Roman soldiers when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love the people that have killed your family. Love the people that have killed your brother and love the occupying force. And we have trouble loving other politicians in this country. So are your mom and dad still alive today? Yes. Again, my dad has Alzheimer's. And um, it's funny, he has forgotten a lot of the pain, which has made him a different person, a nicer person. And so we actually have a better relationship. My mom is still in Dallas. My mom and I have a very complicated relationship. I love my mom a lot. Um, but we have mom and son issues, you know, apart from the book, LGBT stuff, we still have mom and son issues. And uh, I guess I don't know how you could have a childhood like that and then come to a different conclusion for so many years and be at odds with your parents and not have mom and son issues. So Maybe a couple. A, a couple. Yeah. A couple. But she's read the book. She's signed off on all Both of this. Both my parents have. And uh, she's happy with the story you're telling. Yes, she is. And I want Bob to tell our listeners how to get a copy of the book, but here's your assignment, Caleb. We're going to come back after Bob tells the listeners how they can get a copy. But I'm going to ask you to seat your mom and your dad across the table from you and fulfill the fifth commandment in uh, 
a couple of minutes here on Family Life today. I want to ask you to honor them and speak a tribute to both of them for what they did do right. Are you willing to do that? Absolutely, because they did do a lot right. Mm. Well, let me just mention the book that uh, you've written, Caleb, is called Messy Grace. It tells your story of growing up in the family you grew up in and how you learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. That's the subtitle of the book, and I think it's a helpful book for all of us. You can go to our website, familylifetoday.com, to order a copy of the book. Again, the website is familylifetoday.com. Dennis? Well, Caleb, you've had a few minutes to think about uh, addressing your mom and your dad and giving them both a tribute. We're not sure what your dad will understand. Maybe uh, God will give him a moment of uh, clear thinking and he'll hear it. But uh, speak to them both, if you would, please, in the first person. Mom and Dad, I would not be who I am without you. You've instilled in me a sense of justice, a pursuit of those who are different and not like me. You've instilled in me a love of academics, education, logical thinking. You've instilled in me love. Even through the tough moments, there was never a moment when I ever doubted that you loved me. Even through the tough moments of moving from house to house, I never doubted for a second that you ever didn't love me. I know that you love me still to this day. I know that God and his sovereignty allowed all this to happen. And I know that this can be the best season of all three of our lives if we trust God in whatever season that we're in. And I want you to know that despite what you may feel that you had done wrong or I have, I'm extremely proud, enormously proud to be your son. And I also want you to know that for any pain throughout the years that I may have caused you, especially in my religious fervor when I first came to Christ, I apologize for that. As I process through the emotions of learning what it is to follow Christ and trying to love you and walking this delicate balance between grace and truth and this tension. I'm sorry if you ever got hurt. I'm sorry for the times that I didn't know how to handle my emotions correctly because I am not a perfect person. But I know that Satan meant to disrupt and destroy our lives. God allowed it to happen to save lives. I truly believe that through both of your lives, even though both of them were painful, even from childhood to now, I truly believe that God is using your lives and this story, which is not just mine, it's yours, to help people for such a time as this, because people need help with the suicide rate of gay teenagers rising. Parents need to know how to love. Teenagers need to know truth. And you have become a clay pot that God is using and shining light on. So thank you for being you and loving me, and I love you so much. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. A crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.